Hi, I'm Lynn Walker, immigration partner at Minor and Landis, and I am joined today by one of my all-time favorite people. No joke. I have known this person um, for over 13 years, and we actually met during a period in my life when I was taking a break from being an attorney. So my guest today is the absolutely wonderful Timothy Lewis. So I met Tim in June 2010 when we were both teacher training with the New York City Teaching Fellows. And although we were placed at different schools, we both completed many of our graduate courses in science and education together. Even then, Tim was a completely grounded, compassionate, and unflappable person who never seemed to be weighed down by the stresses of teaching and nurturing students and adults while we were both teachers in New York City public schools. Although I left teaching in 2016 and returned full-time to the legal practice, Tim left in 2021 and not surprisingly to anyone who knows him, became a mindfulness coach and embodied movement director. And we'll dig into what those are a little deeper in a moment. Tim is a Jay Shetty certified mindfulness coach and educator at heart with over 15 years of dynamic experience, honoring unique individuality and nurturing innate curiosity. As an avid researcher of epigenetics, human psychology, and the new human biology, he allows a love of learning and growth to fuel his zest for life. Timothy is a 200-hour RYT with training in the foundations of yin and trauma-sensitive yoga. Timothy teaches an everyday mindfulness and meditation course and works with individuals and groups looking to explore how mindfulness can neutralize the effects of stress and modern living and offers embodied movement classes, including yoga and capoeira. Timothy enjoys training and teaching, travel, and exploring the contrast of being deeply drawn to nature while embracing the hustle and bustle of New York City. So thank you for joining us today, Tim. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for that introduction. You know, as you were talking about our time together in uh, teacher training, I was always intrigued by learning about people who were choosing to come into the teaching profession with so many different skill sets and different backgrounds. So I, I, I appreciate that you were sharing that. So let's uh, get to the first question. Um, can you tell us what it means to be a mindfulness coach and an embodied movement director? Yeah, absolutely. So when I think about the word mindfulness, right, I, I have many reflections of, of what that means. And one of the first things that come up for me is sort of the connotation that mindfulness looks a certain way, right? That it takes a particular form, or um, sometimes that means sitting in a particular position, or uh, perhaps it even means the, the quality of, of the thought that happens. Um, and so one of the first things that come up for me is really reframing that word mindfulness. And it's with great appreciation and gratitude with those who have put so much work into it. Uh, but 
for me, mindfulness is really um, about attitudes of mind and really more about who we are being in our everyday life versus what it is that we're doing. You know, life is always happening and it's really the, the nature of the mind to, to be engaged and to be creative, to be innovative. Uh, and so when I think about mindfulness, I think more so about attitudes of mind and ways of being. Uh, and so mm -hmm. as it pertains to the embodied um, movement piece, you know, here we are in these incredible human bodies and that allows us to, to move through this experience. And oftentimes, I know in my experience, um, I existed for a long time without a, a true felt connection to what it meant to be in my body. And so I'm, I'm very fortunate to have a background in, in sports and dance. And so I've always moved my body, but to really understand what it means to, to be in this body is, you know, what I think about when I hear embodied uh, movement. And so essentially the opportunity to understand how our thoughts, our emotions and how uh, even environments impact the, our physical being. That's wonderful. And that, that is a very different perspective of mindfulness, which seems to be a very you know, loaded term today. I, it, depending on who you speak to, it, it seems to mean different things. And depending on what books you, you read, there sometimes appears to be a rigidity in um, how, how you attain mindfulness. Like, uh, again, what you were kind of mentioning, uh, specific positions where you have to sit or lay or stand. And so it's nice that you have embraced a, a more fluid definition of what mindfulness can be, a more open definition. So I, I guess my next question for you is, how did you get into this from, I mean, I, I guess, is it a huge jump from, from teaching to, you know, science to teaching mindfulness and embodied movement? You know, that's, that's a really interesting question. I think it could be. Um, a big jump, but the way I describe it, I always say <laughs> the word mindfulness sort of caught up with who I already am. Um, I have always been a, a naturally curious person. I've, I've allowed sort of this chasing my curiosity to, to lead me into most of the places that I've been, uh, most of the experiences, you know. So for me, Becoming a, a mindfulness coach felt like a natural transition, especially mm -hmm. with the integration of the science piece. Um, in terms of formal practice, you know, I remember journaling as a, as a young boy. For me, that was a, a major outlet just to have a place to be able to put my thoughts on paper. And so as a formal practice, I had no idea what journaling even was. In fact, at that time, I think it was more so called like a mm -hmm. diary. And, you know, there were like these limitations to who is it that keeps a diary? It was mostly mm -hmm. females, right? Um, and so that was like my, my little outlet. Um, I started my formal training with mindfulness teachers uh, in 2016, where I was first exposed to uh, John Kabat-Zinn, who is accredited with much of the sort of foundational research as we know it here in the West. And I remember seeing one of his posters on the New York City subway. And again, it was the curiosity, this like, I wonder what mm -hmm. that's about. It sounded very interesting. And I literally went to a lecture with John Kabat-Zinn uh, at the Lincoln Center all by myself, <laughs> just because it felt right. And so for me, 
you know, my journey in mindfulness and exposure to it has really grown exponentially by virtue of, of really following that curiosity. I, I think I want to return to the initial question that you, you were talking, where, where I was asking you about, like, what exactly is mindfulness and embodied, embodied movement? Can you give us an example of, at its core, what these two things are, how they work together, and can a coach help? Because I don't really know what you mean by these two things. Like, I've heard other people talk about them, and they seem to be uh, very different from what you're explaining. Mm-hmm. So when, when I explain what it means to, to be mindful, the, the formal definition can be really helpful, right? It's being present without judgment. Very simple. Mm-hmm. Now, the, it gets complex because within the practice of mindfulness are many tools that can be used, right? So here's, here's a great analogy that I like to think about when I think about, um, for example, exercise, right? Underneath that umbrella of exercise, there are many ways to engage with exercise. Mm-hmm. And so it is with, with mindfulness, right? So there are many tools that we can use to be present and also not judge. So when we think about uh, presence, for example, oftentimes our physical presence, where we are in any given moment, might be drastically different than the thoughts we're having. Our thoughts sometimes are ruminations of the past or Mm -hmm. fretting about a future, as opposed to being truly present. And so, for example, that presence might mean I am sitting in a chair. My feet are making contact with the earth, right? This is kind of a very tangible example of what it means to to be mindful. So when we think about mindfulness and we think about the attitudes of mindfulness, we can almost think of them as different uh, pillars, right? So there's the, the pillar of curiosity. There's the pillar of having a beginner's mind. There's the pillar of non-attachment. So these are three big ones, right? And and generally, um, there are more, but we'll kind of start from from that place. So how is it that I can be present? And that also means with experiences that may be pleasant, with experiences that are not necessarily pleasant, and at the same time, practice not judging those as good or bad. And so Relative to mindfulness, when I think about embodied, I'll give um, a personal example for when I first started my physical yoga practice. And I remember being in one of my first classes and, you know, as we as yoga teachers often do, we give cues for people to really engage with the practice. And um, I remember standing in, you know, warrior two and the teacher says, roll your hip under. And I stood there for quite a while, pretty perplexed because I couldn't physically feel my hip in any particular position. And so when we think about embodying these physical bodies, it's literally being able to to become aware of what it feels like, because oftentimes one piece that is missing is sort of the way that our physiology informs our mind and our mind informs our physiology. And so this connection is not separate, but actually intricately uh, combined. I love that. I love that story and that example, because 
what I thought was so lovely about yoga and why I thought it was so helpful as a practice is um, I think it's very easy in this society to become self-absorbed, to go through life not knowing where you fit within an environment or how you can impact the environment around you. Uh, there's like, for some people, a complete lack of body awareness. And I remember when I first started taking yoga and the instructor would say to close your eyes and do something. And it was very simple. It was close your eyes and sit on the ground on your sit bones with a straight back. And I was like, that's incredibly challenging because number one, how do you know your back is straight with your eyes closed? You, you don't have a mirror. How do you know whether you're, you're leaning front or back? And those are like core muscles that, you know, <laughs> as we work more and more in offices become weaker and weaker. Um, and I just remember the, the sensation of finally being able to sit and know where I was in the room and in relation to the people next to me without having to see them. I could feel them and I could feel how, whether my back was straight or I was hunched over, whether my shoulders were up near my ears, which tends to happen towards the end of the day and we get stressed. So I love that story about yoga and like rolling your hip under because sometimes, especially in uh, beginner's classes, when they tell you to do things, you're like, the body doesn't do that. And yes. what you realize, it's a, it's a very tiny movement and you can do some of it, right? It's absolutely uh, the, these minor, very minor changes can make an enormous impact on just you and how you fit in this world and the, you know, in, in relation to others. And if I can add to that, you know, it's really mm -hmm. interesting because um, as you were talking about modern living, so much of it is based on the sensations that we're aware of, right? The things that we can see, that we can feel, that we can taste, we can touch, we can hear. Uh, but, you know, there are many body systems and just ways of knowing or checking in with ourselves. Um, and you mentioned one, with um, knowing where we are in space, right? This proprioception, we can sense our um, hunger. We can sense whether we are balanced or um, we can sense interoception, which is what's going on on the inside. And so connected to this practice or this wide array of practices that exist in mindfulness, we're able to tune into some of those subtle sensations. The initial benefits like that comes very quickly, even when you're starting the practice, like, you know, if you are open to it, and you allow yourself to become attuned to things that and I, I think that will lead us to our next question that can sometimes be uncomfortable. Um, it, it provides a greater sense of being able to be present. So um, the next question that we're moving into, so, you know, in our modern world, and I'll just use the legal profession as an example. Um, it's incredibly demanding and it causes a great deal of stress. And that stress, um, w once unmanaged, becomes anxiety and or panic. Um, how can mindfulness help ease that stress and anxiety? 
I don't know about everyone else, but for me, it feels like there's almost this fast forward button on time, right? Things are moving mm -hmm. really, really fast. The amount of information uh, is coming from, from many different angles. And, and so this accumulation of stress is, is one that is a, a shared experience. And when you add on top of that, some of the high stress uh, professions and work environments, work conditions, then it becomes a necessity to have something to mitigate some of that stress. And so, you know, there's a, there's a, a phrase or this idea that, you know, two people can experience the same exact thing and have very different responses to it. So one way that, that mindfulness helps to, to really manage stress is it creates a sense of spaciousness, right? So in between um, an event that happens with continued practice, we start to increase our capacity to not only hold those experiences, but more than anything, that we are less, um, less likely to attach story or meaning to it. Right. We're able to. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I mentioned in, in the very beginning was how mindfulness encourages a sense of non-attachment. So, you know, if if a situation happens or a circumstance I find myself in, I am able to. And when I say I am, I'm using that as a, you know, one who practices mindfulness, um, one who develops a, a personal practice being able to separate from the event and choose how to respond as a result. And so oftentimes, you know, the um, events that happen in our, in our lives are causing the chemistry of stress. So mm -hmm. in our modern world, right, our biology may not have quite caught, caught up with the the machinery that we have, right? In the past, the threat looked very different. These threats that we were uh, under were very real, right? You would walk outside and there might be a tiger or a saber tooth beast that was, you know, threatening our survival. Now these threats look like the person who cut us off in traffic. It looks mm -hmm. like the um, person who didn't hold the elevator for us, or it mm -hmm. looks like the person who stepped on my toe on the train, right? And so the body is relaying this information as simply threat, which in turn creates the chemistry of stress. And over time, this chronic stress is what gives rise to many of the, the ill uh, types of health outcomes that we see. So I, I think I, what I'd like to do is, is bring up a situation and, and see what your thoughts are. So you were talking about mindfulness and being present. What happens if you're in a situation where you, you want to escape? You don't want to be present. So for example, if I am in the midst of a panic attack um, or I've had a close relative recently who had surgery and is, you know, in a hospital bed and is experiencing very terrible pain. Um, in, in neither of those situations do either one of us want to be present. But, but how does mindfulness still help us even if in the moment we are enduring something that seems overwhelming either emotionally physically or both yeah that's a that's a great great question uh and two things come to mind for me this awareness 
right? This awareness that there's a situation that is unwanted. And then the other piece that I think is sometimes rather challenging is the acceptance. Mm. Mindfulness encourages us to not only be aware, but to accept, right? Because this, this idea that we can push away or uh, move a particular situation that is happening, I think creates the condition for um, a mental state that is more agitated. And so with the acceptance, you know, I think this becomes a, a larger part of the practice for, for some, right? Where the practice is in accepting uh, circumstances that may not be pleasant or may not be uh, necessarily wanted, but that non-attachment continuing to come back to it, right? We often uh, use an analogy in mindfulness practice, and I'll use um, a specific tool of mindfulness, which is a seated meditation, right? So oftentimes in seated meditation, we encourage to think about the, the states of mind almost like the sky, and in the sky, there are, you know, passing clouds, there are storms that may pass, but at the very base of that is simply sky. And so once we start to, once we start to practice with that type of ex expansiveness, this type of spaciousness that exists, then we can also do that with circumstances in our life, right? We might look back and realize, you know what, there were other times where I encountered a situation that was unpleasant and it passed. There were, you know, situations where, you know, I was in a conflict or I lost a particular thing that I cared about and it passed, um, and so I think those two things are uh, critical parts of the practice. And oftentimes, you know, in my own personal experience of, of working with a number of people, the awareness piece almost is easy. It's the acceptance that becomes a really, really mm -hmm. critical part of the practice. I, I would agree with that. Um, not that I've done a lot of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. I've done some, but it's almost always... Um, the acceptance that's difficult, that it seems to take a great deal of time um, because you can be aware and be honest about a situation that's happening. But I, I think um, the willingness to accept that situation in its fullness without judgment can be part of the, the stumbling block for many. So um, for example, I, I do have really bad anxiety. Um, and when stress builds up, I have anxiety attacks. So not panic attacks that are very immediate and can go away. And they're, they're quite terrible panic attacks. You know, they can go away in, in a couple of days. My anxiety is kind of more slow moving. Um, and it can last weeks and it's, really terrible. And I, I think one of the, the recent things I was able to um, acknowledge <laughs> with mindfulness was there are things that happen, right? In life, your job, home, commuting, just existing. And I, I think part of the issue for me w was the perception that these things were happening to me, like to me, specifically, like just by being these things were, ha and not 
realizing that even if I weren't in the picture, these things would happen. So the person who ran through the crosswalk and almost ran me over, they weren't like aiming for me, even though in the moment it may have felt that way, they were going to run through that light in the crosswalk, regardless of whether I was there, right? Mm -hmm. So that kind of shift in like this was going to happen, it's not happening to me, right? It was it was going to happen really freed some of that up. It went from being something that was incredibly personal that was causing me significant anxiety, like why are these things happening to me with the realization like whether I was in that crosswalk, that person was going to run the light. Whether I made it to the train station on time, the train was going to be late, right? I, uh, you know, acknowledging that there are, which is hard for someone who has control issues, that there are things out of your control. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and, so. and thank you, thank you for sharing that because what it brings to mind for me is, you know, some of the ways in which we might even over-identify with things, right? So mm -hmm. one of the things about uh, mindfulness, a, a practice, right, is mm -hmm. that. Noticing the difference between, um, I'll say, I have, you know, a particular thing or an experience versus that experience or that thing being present, right? And so when we start to create that type of space in between it, we can recognize where, again, there's kind of this, it's not me that, you know, has, I might be experiencing symptoms of something or and and again this is this is not uh, a one size fits all right this is depending on where we are in our own personal journey and our own personal practice because again there's that piece of acceptance right mm -hmm. um and so I'll, I'll use an example of um you know when i was a classroom teacher and i remember times where you know the the principal or the administrator would come into the room and you know, instantly they were like the the sweaty palms and I'm like, oh my gosh, why are they here? What are they doing here? And, and you know, being able to, to create that space that suggested a person is in the room. And as I was able to tell myself that story, then I noticed a sense of ease that could come over me, mm -hmm. right? And because oftentimes even, and this goes um, right in line with sort of that, that embodied piece, we don't necessarily realize how certain environments are impacting us. Um, so, you know, that's, that, that made me think about how powerful it is to, to be able to create that spaciousness to, to be able to respond to a situation versus necessarily reacting out of, out of impulse. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think the key part that you also mentioned was the idea of acknowledging and letting go, not creating like an ownership of something or an attachment. I think that was the term you used, but I, I yeah. think that that's kind of how um, anxiety and stress can work together to form that attachment to something that's not necessarily healthy. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I had a teacher once who um, even added a reframe on those types of situations. I think one of the examples they, they give is like, you know, someone uh, cuts you off in traffic and they kind of speed by you. And, you know, it, it, part of the practice is being able to like take that situation for what it is and even potentially reframe it and say, you know, I really hope that person makes it to the bathroom because again, mm -hmm. you know, we don't always understand what someone else is, is going through. Uh, and so 
I can then once I've accepted, once I, you know, of course I'm, I'm okay. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm able to say, you know what? Wow. I hope they really get to the bathroom in time because yeah. <laughs> they were definitely in a rush. And, you know, it's, it's less just weight that, that I have to carry for the rest of the day. Yes. Well, it's a very different perspective. You know, someone rushed by because they have an emergency versus someone cut me off. Right. One is going to ruin your day and the other won't. Right. And and we have the opportunity there to, you know, train things like compassion, to train mm-hmm. kindness, to, you know, um, consider well, what if I had to go to the bathroom really bad or, you know, I was rushing to get somewhere or, you know what, I might even understand a time where I was in a rush to get somewhere and, you know, perhaps I might have cut someone off then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, the other thing I think about is um, how powerful it is. Uh, I think about almost like a dentist, right? So we go to the dentist and we have regular hygiene to ideally prevent really big instances of like a cavity or needing a root canal or something like that. And and so one aspect of our mental hygiene, and when I say mental, I'm not sort of limiting it to, you know, just the, the brain, not just our, our mm-hmm. head, but one aspect of our mental hygiene is to have a regular, you know, check up with ourselves. How often is it that we're, we're waking up in the morning even and saying, you know what, how are you today? Good morning. You know, Mm -hmm. these types of things, um, again, while they seem subtle, while they seem small, they really add up and they really help to to mitigate the the stress of, you know, our day to day fast paced life. Building on that, I do have a question for you. And I think we, we kind of touched on it when we were initially talking. So one of the weird things that I experience, and I think others experience this too, is, um, even though I am thoroughly exhausted at the end of the day and I, I just can't wait to go to sleep, the moment my head touches the pillow, I start ruminating, right? Uh, and it's not necessarily about stuff that happened today. It's like that time in fifth grade that I got embarrassed by something, you know, which I can't go back to fifth grade. That is so many years ago. <laughs> um, what is going on? Like, why is my brain doing this? And what can I do to, to stop these, this ruminating? Yeah, so that's a really, really good question. And I don't know the exact numbers, the, the statistics on incidents of insomnia, but just in my experience of, of working with people, there's so many uh, people who, you know, really struggle in the evening with sort of that wind down. An analogy that I like to think about is, you know, we were mentioning how life is fast paced, how there are so many different things from so many different angles. Uh, and so usually what that does is it's keeping our brain, right? The brain is constantly uh, translating information, even that which we don't fully understand. Right. Um, and so a big piece of that is that, you know, if we imagine sort of this this engine, this car running down the expressway at, at full speed, it's almost what's happening a lot of times with our internal systems. And instead of going down the exit ramp and, you know, almost coming to a to a deceleration and a gentle stop, it's almost as if we run down that exit ramp and just shut the engine off. Right. And so there's almost this overload of 
sensation of, um, again, a signal of danger, of threat, mm-hmm. right? And so it's really difficult for, you know, the system, our system to, to come to a uh, shutdown in, in that way. Um, and so one of the things that I like to think about, especially in the evening, is, you know, how can we begin to downregulate? So one of the, I think, I think one of the most accessible things to, to consider is exposure to light, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, when we talk about circadian rhythm, our biology is programmed for, you know, natural cycles of daylight and night. Um, now, there are many instances where, you know, the artificial light, the fluorescent lights, the all the lights, the TV, everything is constantly sending the signal, obviously not uh, to our conscious mind, but mm-hmm. to the subconscious that it is time to be alert. It is time to be awake. Um, and, you know, in turn, it makes me think about um, perhaps even metabolism, how we're eating, right? If we are accustomed to eating meals during uh, late hours, right before bed, then again, we're sending the signal, not that it's time to rest, not that it's time to digest, but that it's time to use that as fuel to be able to, to perform, to do something. And so I think one of the really key elements here is to, again, take the time to and create the space to slow down, become attuned to what these sensations are saying. The other thing is, you know, for, for some, like I, I mentioned for, for myself, I had a writing practice very early. You know, I'd be curious to know what some of the, like, there was a point in time where um, one client I worked with, she, you know, would often ruminate about what's going to happen the next day, or mm-hmm. um, even more common, what all of the things that she didn't do for that day that she had planned to do. And so one of the things that we worked on over time was, you know what, honor that, you know, maybe take pen to paper and make a gentle list, get some of those things out and actually, you know, honor what you, what your body's calling for in that moment. I mean, there are again, tons and tons of practices. And I think this is really the benefit of, you know, working with individuals, being in community with uh, practices like mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, being able to tune into the the sensations that are present once those thoughts start to arise um, is, is a really, really valuable and, and worthwhile practice to develop. Those are wonderful, wonderful recommendations. I really like the idea of like uh, trying to wind down possibly earlier than you need to to go to bed. So your your systems kind of, I guess, uh, identify biologically with what is supposed to be happening. Like you should be slowing down and getting ready to sleep. And also the idea of um, honoring what your concerns are. So even in a written practice, or maybe even doing a a video blog over time so that you can revisit and see what some of those issues were that were causing you to ruminate. And hopefully with mindfulness practice, it becomes uh, less frequent, the need for the the rumination. Um, So I have a a follow-up question for you. So as someone who uh, struggles with anxiety at times, Um, When it's at its worst and I'm really stressed out, um, 
you know, one of the things, and, and I'm not usually the squeaky wheel. If I say to you, I'm anxious and stressed out, that pretty much means like I'm at a 10 <laughs> if I'm admitting it verbally. And one of the things I find like very unhelpful is when people say to me, just take a breath, count to 10, go for a walk. That doesn't help me. Like, I just want to say, I, I would rather you right now. Like that would make me feel better. (laughs) Just breathe. Like I am breathing. Do you not see my nostrils flaring? I'm like almost to the point of hyperventilating. I am breathing. Um, Is it because I'm in such like a, a ramped up state? What would I need to do or what would anyone need to do who finds themselves at that like really heightened state? to get themselves, their systems down to where like going for a walk would be helpful. Just breathing would be helpful. Do you have tips that you can offer that would like help someone come down from that level? You mentioned a couple different tools or modalities. Um, One of the first things is, again, reflecting back on that acceptance. This experience is present. It's here. Right. And so when we think about um, don't think about a pink elephant, I don't want to think about a pink elephant. And the only (laughs) thing that comes to mind is the pink elephant. Right. And so when we really engage in different modalities, different practices, then we start to find what works for me. Right. It's Mm -hmm. my practice. One of the things that really resonate for me and the content even that I put out is it's all practice because at any given point, you know, we can start to engage with different practices, different modalities, again, because it's about who we're being. When these um, unpleasant experiences, as severe or as not severe as they are, when they're present, who am I being, right? When I'm in this space of waiting for this moment to pass, am I being impatient? If I'm being impatient, then it's probably going to, you know, exacerbate, get a little more Mm -hmm. sticky. Um, If, you know, part of my practice is being kind to myself, then acknowledging this is present. And as I continue to practice tuning in with sensations of breath, if I, again, continue to realize that this doesn't work for me, then I might need to do something that's a little bit more vigorous. Maybe I need Mm -hmm. to punch a pillow. Maybe I do Mm -hmm. need to, you know, have some way to be able to scream into a pillow. Or when Mm -hmm. I go for my walk, you know what? I need to find a a secluded place where I can scream, right? Mm -hmm. And so really it's about developing the practice, developing the modality that really works on on a personal level. And this is really the beauty of really playing with it, right? Starting to see the the lightheartedness, the the not taking everything so seriously, because it's it's really in kind of the developing the the day-to-day, the micro practices. This is what I really like to develop. You know, these micro practices where we can really engage with it such that, you know what, by the time it gets to a certain level, I know to disengage from an environment. I know to stand mm-hmm. up and roll my shoulders back at my desk. I know to mm-hmm. not respond to that email right in that moment or even, you know, bringing awareness to the tension that we hold in our hands. If I'm holding all of this tension in my hands and uh, based on, you know, some experience or interaction that I've had with a coworker, I can take a pause and I can just bring awareness to my hands, kind of work them out a little bit. And again, I know what I'm doing, but 
my neighbor may not necessarily know. You know, when I'm sitting on the train and I kind of change my posture a little bit, you know, I know that I'm looking to generate more energy, more spaciousness, more uh, more space for myself. Uh, and so I think that's one of the really, really powerful things about developing a personal practice um, when we are experiencing situations that are that are severe, like you mentioned. So, Tim, you've offered us so many great ideas and great tips. If someone wanted to start a meditation practice and wanted coaching, because I, I think one, like yoga, it's one of those things that you need coaching when you first start. How can someone get in touch with you? So I share content daily on Instagram. And the content that I share on Instagram is really uh, geared towards everyday practices of mindfulness. I also share insights there. Uh, I share uh, content on LinkedIn as well. And this mm -hmm. is geared more towards kind of the, the corporate space and how is it that we're able to, to manage work stress. Um, mm -hmm. I'm also offering in the month of September a beginner's meditation course for this, this course is specifically for men uh, so that we can have a space to, to sit down and be able to engage, again, not just with a seated meditation practice, but also various aspects of mindfulness and especially mobility so that we can feel better in these bodies and, and move our joints better. So those are, are three things that, that I have right on the horizon. I also am a content creator on the Insight Timer app which is a meditation app for individuals who uh, want to be able to develop a practice with the guidance of uh, um, uh, an app. <laughs> At the end of this video, we'll be sure to include contact information and handles where you can find Tim and his contact and how you can reach out to him. If you would like his services as a coach, I would really, really recommend doing so. Uh, mindfulness is something you want to get right from the beginning. So we've been talking about mindfulness and meditation and, you know, again, those are very loaded words. So I feel very grateful that Tim will give us a little coaching on how to meditate and be mindful. So this is just going to be a, a small sample of what meditation and mindfulness can do for you. Um, and if you want more, you can follow Tim and we'll provide all of the information for his social media at the end of this video. So Tim, take it away. Absolutely. So before, before we get started, I want to say thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Uh, thank you for this conversation. You know, I, I really believe that mindfulness is the way to create that space that we all are yearning for. Uh, and so mm -hmm. I'm going to lead us in a short practice. And this practice is one that invites us to play with presence. And so literally right from where you are, you might uh, just allow yourself to kind of move your shoulders a little bit, or if there's anything that feels like you need to, to move, you can wiggle side to side, let the head kind of sway a little bit. And so right from where you are, I'm going to invite you just to allow your eyes to scan around your space. Just noticing the space that you are sitting in, in this moment. 
you might begin to notice different textures, different colors, shapes, light, just simply noticing what's present. And as your eyes are wandering, it's perfectly normal that you begin to have thoughts that pop up in your head and that's okay. Just allow those thoughts to be present. If you find that your eyes are attracted to a certain color or a certain shape, you can allow them to rest there. Just simply noticing the space that you're in. And you might take a moment just to allow your eyelids to become a little heavy, finding a gaze soft, just feeling the sensation of the eyelids heavy. You might start to notice the sensation of breathing. Feeling the flow of the inhale and the flow of the exhale. And if it feels right, you might bring the eyes to close completely. And as you engage with the sensation of breath, you might use a simple reminder Breath moving in on the inhale and breath moving out on the exhale. Maybe feeling the physical sensation of breath as it enters the nostrils and breath as it leaves the nostrils. might feel the expansion of the belly. And noticing the sensation of the body sitting. And in a moment, we will Begin to bring this practice to a close in a gentle, kind way, in the same way in which we entered. I invite you to bring gentle awareness to the thumb and the pointer finger. Maybe rubbing them together. bringing the thumb and the middle finger together, gently rubbing them together. Shifting to the thumb and the ring finger, gently rubbing them together. And finally, the thumb with the pinky. And as you feel ready, you might 
gently float the eyelids open again, beginning to take light. And you might allow the movements of the body to become a little more pronounced again, moving the shoulders. And as we finish up, I'll leave you with a, a compound practice on top of that. Peace begins with me. Mm. Oh, Tim, thank you so much for that. It was wonderful reconnecting with you and having you on the show. Um, again, at the end of this video, what we'll do is provide our viewers and listeners with your contact information. Do you have any closing thoughts or ideas you'd like to share? Again, so much gratitude for this space uh, to, to have this conversation, to really demystify practices of, of mindfulness. You know, I truly believe that as we move forward, it's critical that we combine our or find the path from our head to our heart so that we can do the most good with our hands. So thank you so much for this opportunity.